today we are going to talk to Gayatri Venkatadri. She is uh, on phone with me here. Hi Gayatri, how are you? I'm fine. It's good to be here, Harshida. So, uh, when we decided this mode of uh, talking to each other, we thought, uh, so Gayatri's question was, who would want to listen to us? And my answer to that is, a lot of time you want to listen to your own voice. Uh, that's a self-connect. So, when, when I say your own voice, uh, from what I've seen and heard in the past 6-7 months, there are a lot of people who are in the same stage as us, who connect with us and have similar backgrounds, similar uh, 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 interests. And so therefore the audience is huge and they cut across geography. So not just in India, but across the world, uh, there are women who, uh, women of substance who uh, want to hear more of themselves and Gayatri is one of them. So I thought I will get to know her better. Uh, I have known her since 2002 uh, when we uh, worked in the same company, Genpact. Uh, and I thought the format of uh, this knowing her better uh, would be through questions, about 20 that I had listed. Uh, and if you remember, we used to play this game in school where we had questions for, the fr for our friend and they used to answer in yes or no, black or white. Uh, but obviously there are a lot of grey areas in between and I thought the format uh, should be where I let her elaborate on her answers and we will uh, have a conversation here. So uh, join us in the next, uh, for the next 45 minutes or so uh, in a conversation where I get to know Gayatri a little bit more better. So uh, welcome Gayatri, uh, should we start? Let me know. Yes, of course. Okay. Uh, uh, so, starting off, uh, Gayatri, with your name, I know most of the South Indian uh, people who are born in South India or to South Indian parents have uh, a, an additional name. So, it's a longer name than what they finally get on their uh, school certificate. What is your long name and what is the history and geography behind it? It isn't that much of a history. I was named after my grandmother and my grandmother's name was Maragadavalli. Okay, so your name is Maragadavalli. Oh, that is the name by which only my grandfather has ever called me. But uh, I was lucky enough that that didn't make its uh, way to my birth certificate. In school, I have always been known as Gayatri and all of my official records say that. I suppose Maragadavalli is a name between me, the gods and my grandfather now. Okay. And what does Maragadavalli mean? It actually means emerald and it is the name of uh, a goddess who's worshipped. I don't know exactly where the temple is now either. I suppose it would be an interesting exercise to go and look that up. Um, but yeah, it means emerald and I've always thought that, you know, oh, well, I've not never thought of myself as someone who should be named emerald. Wow, so you were born with an emerald, like others are born with golden or silver spoon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, I also know you like traveling and through your several job changes, you have uh, changed location, Delhi, uh, Bombay, uh, Bangalore is where you started and where you belong to. So, do you still call yourself Bangalorite? A Bangalorean, yes, I do call myself a Bangalorean. Uh, 
and uh, i suppose i should, i'm i've come to uh, think of it as a full circle because uh, i remember in my 20s i was very very eager to escape uh, bangalore it was a it was my small hometown with my family and i wanted to see the whole world um and well i did see a little bit of it and then eventually came back here about 10 years ago now um and i think in some ways that actually i'm lucky that the city has grown because i know so many people who come from you know towns which were the size of uh, bangalore when i was growing up here a small town of about a million to million uh, people in state capital where you had everything but you could go from one end of the city to another in 20 minutes um and those cities have stayed uh, you know similar they haven't had the kind of explosion that bangalore has and they've all had to leave behind homes parents grand families and move to a bigger city like here and i'm lucky enough that i you know got to essentially grow with the city so so yeah i do call myself a bangalorean and i'm thought i'd be grateful to say that you know the city has grown this much but uh, in some ways i am hmm. so which other geography or which other city would you call your own delhi okay and is that because of the length of time you stayed there or i actually didn't end up staying uh, in that in the area very long but uh, but for some reason it always felt like the india of the civics textbooks that we read and it felt uh, it felt like it could be home um, i know that it has a very bad reputation uh, but my experience living uh, in delhi and gurgaon as a single woman was uh, was not as you know it was a pleasant one actually surprisingly enough although you hear many horror stories of how um, you know the place can treat uh, women but my own experience was uh, was not uh, bad and i also enjoyed it because i think it was my first time away from home um, being able to explore live in, live in a city on my own terms and explore it on my own terms so so yes i've always thought of delhi as my other home and if i ever get the chance i will go and live there for some time and i remember that changed your uh, the way you drove ha ah, yes it changed the way i drove it it did make me a lot more aggressive okay coming to some traditional or rather uh, questions that come on everyone's list uh, who is or was uh, was your childhood hero heroine and why well most of my childhood heroines i think came from books so uh, you know i think some of the earliest books that i remember reading and remembering the female characters from and wanting to model myself on were books like little women or i think heidi and anne of green gables were two other children's books that really influenced me and i wanted to be like the people in those books the heroines who were spunky and who you know had courage and faced the world and discovered themselves and overcame you know whatever challenges came their way So so yeah I think heroines were mostly heroines from book I books I did never appreciated that I lived with <laughs> real life heroines until my adulthood So do you think you became like your uh, book heroines or uh, far from that Well I suppose I have a bit of a blind spot but I don't I think in in some ways characters in books are are two dimensional and can never really measure up to real people with their complexities and with uh, you know their own interpretation of themselves so so yeah i don't i don't really think so while that might have been what i aspired to uh, as a child i think now as an adult i prefer to look for people and their lived experiences and try to see if that's something that i can learn from coming on to influential people in your uh, uh, childhood or even now uh, 
could you name some and uh, the reasons why they influenced you i think for uh, for me my influences at least in terms of how i think and what i i think of as valuable uh, have come from uh, people who are close to home so my grand grandfather and my grandmother played a great role in uh, influencing what it is that i like and value um my grandfather held family to be uh, you know extremely important and you know he also uh, used to tell me all of these stories about mahatma gandhi and jawaharlal nehru and made them all out to be heroes and uh, you know those that had won us freedom and were the model role models by which we needed to live etc so i suppose those lessons of uh, you know ethics where you sort of think of the world as as uh, a place where you should you should uh, practice your ideals to make it a better one is something that has stayed with me and my grandma valued books a lot so i got my uh, reading addiction i would say from her um so so they were i would say my earliest and most lasting influences interesting so essentially family and friends that's where you yeah that's where i find my inspiration because other inspirations seem to be very far away from uh, from my lived experience so i can give you the example of uh, you know there was a point in my time when you know things were changing i was uh, i was expecting a child my career i had just been promoted um, but you know it was a it was a career that demanded a lot from me in terms of time in terms of travel in terms of mental energy and in some ways i my body was failing me for the first time in my whole life in being able to uh, to meet my obligations career wise and uh, that was when uh, lean in the book by sheryl sandberg actually came out and it received a lot of popular press and uh, sheryl sandberg seemed like somebody that i should look up to at the time right i mean she was successful in her career she also seemed to be balancing a family life extremely well and i bought that book when it first came out and read it almost like the bible underlining um, you know parts which i thought i should apply to me um, and which should speak to me but um honestly it didn't i mean at the end of the day i the advice of you know um, lean in find a mentor find um, you know whatever way it is in which you can try harder in your personal circumstance to achieve what it is that you want while at the highest level it is a rational approach at an emotional level it didn't really help me with uh, with redoing or rearranging how my life should be in order to make me a more successful person that actually happened from my conversations with family and with friends and not really from the book which is why i said the two dimensional advice that comes from books while i still value it while i still read through all of it still resonates less than three dimensional stuff that i get from conversations with people don't you find that so in your experience as well books versus people so yeah i mean experiences profession wise i feel uh, unless you do something you would you would not get uh, or you would not figure out what's uh, going to go wrong going to go right uh, people wise yes they are better uh, inspiration because they have more dimension than a book book has i think a single or a dub, or couple of view points it can't cover uh, the reality of life the changes in geography changes in situation uh and or 
in some ways i have always found uh, that the book uh, books i refer to at different stages of life have definitely changed so uh, like you said little woman uh, yes that was a favorite book in the past in uh, in school or when i was in primary uh, section but when, as i moved uh, my inspiration changed some of them also came from uh, marathi books that i ended up reading later in my life uh, some of them very uh, dark also but yeah i mean i realized that life is not uh, one dimension it keeps changing your point of view keeps changing so yeah i agree with you and when you quote uh, people as influencers more than books so moving on back to you uh, and i'm going to uh, just go with the sequence that uh, we had discussed uh, going back to our discussion on education and your current favorite early education uh, how, how did you see your uh, school life span out which were your favorite subjects uh, what influence or what made them your uh, favorite subjects and how did they translate in what you chose later in life i was a very dutiful student because i can't say that i enjoyed uh, school i i enjoyed i think uh, finishing school <laughs> if i can put it that way uh, i enjoyed the rewards of it it was where i could find my space for achievement so yes i valued doing well in exams but did i value the experience of learning itself unfortunately i would have to say no especially uh, i would say up to um, middle school and uh, high school they were not uh, exceptional experiences for me um college though is where i think uh, i found my feet in terms of uh, you know learning inside and outside the classroom and making friends it's where i discovered an abiding love for uh, you know reading and writing um so so yeah i think education as such i mean at least the the personal experience that i had has only to some extent um taught me that you know there are, there have to be other ways to learn other than the method that that at least i went through for you know 15 years to be able to get through the formal education system because i came away from it from it with an awareness of subjects but not with a deep uh, understanding of them that has taken a lot of unlearning in terms of learning methods for me to actually figure out how to understand the subject and how to apply it so so montessori being your passion if there was so montessori is for early education part of it i understand but if there was a montessori version well actually uh, that's a bit of a misnomer there is actually uh, montessori's me- uh, methodology she advocates this methodology until uh, high school but until people finish high school which is 18 years um, as well so it's just that it is uh, more popularly adopted and practiced for uh, you know the age groups of uh, up to middle school up to 12 years or so is where it's, it's more popular but it is possible to practice the methodology till late and i think particularly in the age that we are living in where the focus is on the application of the learning uh, the principles of montessori education especially for high school and for even university education i would think uh, will be very very applicable because the focus there is on 
you know everybody has their own learning speed has their own learning child so you must learning uh, style so you must follow your learning method what you learn should be focused on you know what is alive in your environment so you know it shouldn't be that you're pulling out um, you know a language or a theory that doesn't make any sense you must learn from the things that are alive around you uh, was one of the principles that she said and secondly you must maintain scientific precision as far as possible in what you learn so that what you learn is is accurate um, to the highest extent and i think all of those principles uh, will work well especially in in the challenges that are to come where you know you will have to to constantly learn new skills or at least up, be able to update yourself uh, very fast and that can only happen um, you know if you are truly motivated and if you have an ability to constantly learn as children do and uh, somewhere our current education system where it is structured as you learn for your for the first 18 years of your life and what you learn in those first 18 years should hold you in good stead for the uh, next 60 years um, is really what uh, you know the current structure says and that isn't going to work so i think uh, the the montessori method is highly adaptable and highly extensible uh, and especially meant for our times uh, even though it was invented about 100 years ago now so it also talks about continuous learning which definitely is uh, what one has to do even if one has earned uh, degrees and uh, being in the system or being in corporate world for Five, six years, ten years. Uh, they have to learn new technologies, new methodologies or framework. So, uh, so Montessori learning. Are you saying Montessori learning will uh, lead them to rightly do that? So it is a method. So there is no syllabus. There is no. Uh, uh, I mean, there is for for the early education of the, of three to six years. There is a. certain uh, set of materials which are prescribed for them but everywhere else the uh, the environment the only idea is that you must set up the environment in a way that the learner can uh, can learn what it is that they need to um so so yes i think it can be well adapted to it but uh, having said that how adults learn i think is a whole different mystery because that ability to immediately absorb uh, that children have is something that we will all lose as adults so we will have our biases right? we will have our biases we'll have and and your mental faculties do slow down no matter how many brain tests you take or how many ever uh, you know quizzes and teasers and mental exercises you try to do at some level your brain does begin to slow down uh, with age and its absorption capacity so so you know the way uh, those of us who are a little older learn i think uh, we just have to figure it out as we go along because i think ours is an age which has which is demanding that uh, you know we put our brains to increasing use yeah, um, there is going to be no retirement uh, for any of us i think um, and it is go- and go- that con- challenge of constantly being in school when your brain thought it was done with it uh, is something that we will have to solve and i think we will be solving it for the first time Uh, at a scale that uh, you know there ha- there have always been people who are curious and whose curiosity lasts uh, till the end of their lives um, but i think in our age that curiosity is not just a pleasure it is a necessity and how that curiosity can be encouraged fostered and fulfilled at scale is something that uh, that i think our generation will have to solve 
coming back to uh, your journey so far uh, after your high school uh, you uh, did your becomes that right and you were a rank holder so post that what or what made you choose Hey, I wasn't a rank holder in BCom. I was a rank holder in twelfth standard. By BCom, I had realized the error of my ways and had descended to being a best, the best backbencher ever. So sorry. Reading your own novels. Yeah, reading, reading Thomas Hardy in the back of the class. Why MBA after BCom? Because uh, I mean, if I look at it as a third person, your dad had a uh, had a great practice uh, uh, as a CA. and uh, you could have with your uh, education joined his firm uh, was mba more because you wanted to study further and that was one thing that was in vague or any other consideration no it was mostly because it was the first opportunity for me to leave bangalore <laughs> so so really uh, at the time uh, you know joining an accountancy firm in the i into which i had actually got an admission and doing a chartered accountancy and then joining the family firm and growing the family firm while in hindsight it was it was a it would have been a good path in life and i would have learned a lot from it uh, at the time the only thing i could think of was uh, was escaping and you know experiencing the world on my own terms so so starting off on uh, experiencing the world do you remember the date of your travel to uh, bhuvaneswar mod and any specific events in the journey um i don't remember the dates though but i i do remember uh, that you know the train journey used to be very wonderful and um, long also so were you, were you the did the family leave you at the bangalore station or they came with you no no of course they came all the way in and settled me into my room and i was very eager for them to leave I didn't appreciate, you know, the, the care and concern with which they treated me. My roommate and now very good friend was the one who did so. She she cried when my mother left, and I was like, "Why are you crying when my mother left?" She's like, "I she loves you so much," and she left, and that's why I'm crying. Sign. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> so predictable. Um, I think the other question I had was linked to your uh, different geographies. uh how are they different so how how is bangalore different from delhi gurgaon different from mumbai well uh, i think this this goes into the into the zone of you know stereotypes which which never always hold true but uh, but at least in my experience uh, delhi was one place where you you had to uh, watch out for yourself as in in the sense that there was a you had to be uh, you had to test the bargain that was placed in front of you um, to make sure that what was on offer was real uh, bombay was a very fair place as in where everybody has a has a great work ethic so whether it is and in daily transactions it is extremely pleasant to deal with people who have uh, a great work ethic they'll not do more than what you ask them to do but they will not do less either right which is an amazing quality um, to see Um, so yes i really enjoyed working in bombay uh, i enjoyed delhi for the challenges that it placed in front of you and for the place itself it was it's just a it's just a good place to to see uh, and very entertaining and bangalore you've been there yeah bangalore is home and now increasingly i think bangalore has become um, 
I mean, it is it is different, uh, and it's constantly changing. So I think Bangalore is now in the process of discovering itself and discovering its culture and setting it up uh, anew. So so it is an interesting time to be in the city. Um, what was uh, your take from each of the corporate uh, and uh, profession uh, corp corporate and uh, employment that you were in? So GE, Genpact. Uh, SAS, Accenture, your different places. How was it uh, working specifically that uh, specifically that you were there in your different life stages? How did it work out for you? What was good? What was bad? So I think uh, through all of it, the uh, I have to be grateful for the really interesting work that always uh, came my way. I think some sometimes some somewhere I think a couple of years ago I I did spend a little time questioning myself on whether analytics was the right choice or not. Uh, especially since I fell into it purely by accident, I never studied for it. My education was in a completely different sphere, and yet I had spent 15 years working in a space where you know you look at problems, you look at data, and you build a statistical model or you do an analysis to try and understand what is going on based purely on the data. So, as far as possible, and um, th what I, I what I have to be grateful for is that I found this uh, space, or it found me, uh, early enough, and that it has lasted for this long. Um, along the way, in terms of organizations, I think uh, uh, GE was uh, was where I I met uh, people who have since become my closest friends and. It has been my longest-lasting network, and I suppose in terms of stage of life, that is true. People you meet in your early 20s, when you're most open to relationships, are the ones that are most likely to last. And I'm fortunate that at that stage, I met uh, many wonderful people, you included, uh, who who have uh, who have provided me with some of the best moments of my life, so to say. So, so yeah, I'm grateful for all the friendship and companionship that I earned. Um, SAS was good because I I had been working in a in a services organization um, for five years at uh, GE and Jekis and I wanted to work with a product organization so so that which is why I joined SAS and the experience there was extremely uh, fruitful as well because I, I saw the level of effort that it takes to build and market um, a product um, and the kind of scale that it takes to be able to do that. Um, but having said that, I was still not on the product building side and more on the consulting and product implementation side. So uh, it began to get a little boring when no matter what business problem you met, your answer was, you know, please let's buy SaaS because while it's a, it's a wonderful product, uh, you know, there's only so much that, that your brain can do uh, when it is offered only one instrument to solve every problem. Um, Accenture was uh, was an interesting place. It it taught me, uh, you know, how competitive uh, you would need to be in order to truly be successful. Um, so so yeah, I think I I learned, uh, you know, the I I, I faced and learned competitiveness really for the first time at at Accenture. Uh, it was also the stage of my life when I went through many changes where I ended up, uh, you know, getting married, having my first child. It was a good organization uh, in terms of what they wanted to offer as support. Uh, but I think this is where I faced my personal barrier of not wanting to go on the mommy track or wanting to um, use the chance to explore arenas beyond uh, analytics and traditional corporate careers uh, for myself. 
So, so yeah, since 2013, which is when I quit uh, Accenture, I think I've been off the beaten path and discovering new things every year, which uh, which has been interesting as well. And that's when, uh, when we got together from a work together perspective. So yeah, has been has been some journey. Yeah. Uh, so one interesting question actually I've learned a lot from you and one big thing that uh, uh, when I think about you is organizing uh, organizing everything actually your notes your thoughts your the way you uh, you know tell a story say pitching creating a powerpoint whenever I uh, think of doing anything organizing I think of you so uh, tell me your favorite practices and uh, what what you think people should definitely adapt to and a couple of scenarios which uh, you think your org organization perspective has helped you uh, well so so actually i never used to think of myself as an organized person and my closest friends who you know knew me from a time before when before when i had to force myself to become an organized person like you are the most spaced out person we know how are you now known as organized but I suppose that, you know, it's those of us that mentally can't keep track of things that actually end up using a lot of organizational tools. Uh, so, yeah, if you're like me, a little scatterbrained, uh, prone to distraction. So if I start doing something that I find interesting, I find it very, very difficult to actually step out of it and come back to uh, to do even the basic essentials of, you know, making sure there's a meal on the table and things like that. All of it still slips past me if I'm sitting and doing something that is interesting to me. So, first of all, therefore, all organizational tools are a crutch because I am not a naturally organized person. I think one of the best books that I've read in the space, it's a little dated, but it still has some excellent practices, is this book called Getting Things Done by David Allen. So, it talks about how you need to, uh, to essentially dump out and create a list of everything that you need to do. Uh, and then after that, he talks about, you know, if it's something that can be done in two minutes, just do it immediately. For a procrastinator like me, that is actually brilliant advice. Because if you sit down somewhere and make a list and then just say anything that takes less than two minutes to do, I will do it now. And keep knocking those off, you actually get a lot done even from doing that. But once you have those two minute pieces out of the way, then you're left with bigger chunks of work. And when those bigger chunks of work are there, I think uh, what he... Uh, he points out rather beautifully is that the reason you're not doing something about it is because uh, the big chunks invariably, nothing is a big chunk, everything is actually a small step. So he says identify what is the next action that you will have to do in order to move this along. Right? You may not move it a whole you know, kilometer in terms of distance of getting things done, you might move it one centimeter, but that's okay, just move it that one centimeter because that's all you can do today. So I think that. Uh, book and some of the practices that it advocates are actually really valuable especially when you first adopt them. Uh, the problem around the David Allen book is that the whole GTD methodology has gone completely out of control. So now you get a million softwares and you know 300 different types of list making tools which are all designed around David Allen's methodology which will help you uh, to implement the practice. So uh, and, and since I like technology uh, a lot, I did go around, I actually spent money on buying some of these uh, softwares as well and got laughed at by people. Um, but, but yeah, I found uh, the GTD methodology itself to be pretty good and I would uh, highly recommend reading that book, especially if you're finding yourself a bit at sea in terms of what to do next or how to tackle things uh, that seem important to you but you don't get the time to do them. Um, 
The other practice which I think I have started recently and which I'm finding useful is actually a non-technology one. I've been maintaining a bullet journal for about a year and a half now, two years actually. Um, and I find that it helps me focus uh, to be able to put things down on paper and to do my planning on paper. It's also much more flexible uh, to be able to just do it on paper rather than to restrict myself to uh, a software which is built for a certain level of busyness. Whereas my level of busyness changes. There could be days when it's completely free and I get to decide what needs to happen and there could be other days which are totally fill filled up. And uh, a, a paper pen experience somehow seems um, seems better for that. So, so bullet journaling, um, I appreciate that. It's also kept me in touch with younger people because in order to do my bullet journaling practice, I've ended up following a couple of YouTube videos of people who are 20 years old or 21 years old and you know have a completely different perspective. The only things we probably have in common are that we use bullet journals as a method of uh, organizing our lives and our time. Um, yeah, so I, I get to see K-pop, um, you know, star lists and things like that, which I would never otherwise get to. <laughs> So, uh, just so we all understand it a little bit, what does bullet journaling constitute? Is this gentleman named Ryder Carroll who actually came up with the idea of a bullet journal. So what, uh, and he is weirdly enough a graphic designer, which means he works in front of screens a lot, but he calls, uh, so he has been maintaining a bullet journal for many years and he, whatever method it is that he has been practicing, he's essentially wrote a small book and a blog post about it and then it took off and really exploded. So he maintains a bullet journal and he calls it a mindfulness practice actually. So he says what you do with the pen and paper is you're just, uh, you know, uh, you need to adopt it more as a mindfulness practice rather than like as a David Allen type tool of, you know, documenting your busyness, right? So he says if you keep it in pen and paper and you do your planning uh, with, he starts off with saying that, you know, you need to have a monthly log and a six monthly goal. So in six months, just write up what are the broad goals you're aiming for. Then you take that down at a monthly log level, just write down, you know, the 30 days or 31 days that will be there in a month, one line for each month. And then, um, you know, you essentially and mark out any major, uh, you know, events that are going to happen and so on. And then you begin to uh, document on a daily basis, essentially like you would keep a notebook, all your meetings, anything that you attend, any points that you want to remember, you write those down as bullet points. Anything on the side which becomes an action, you just mark it off with a graphic, you know, for a circle or an empty square or something like that, to notice that this is something that I should do something about, right? And if it's time sensitive, you just use the triangle to make sure that you remember this is a time sensitive event. And that's it. So, so essentially, uh, it is the thing where you document everything that goes on in your life and stay mindful to it and give everything its space. So, so that's essentially what bullet journaling is supposed to do. While it's useful as a productivity technique i think it's a little more than that if it is used correctly hmm. interesting. interesting so it's actually, so it's actually a, a mix of your mix goals, of your goals and, what and what you were able to achieve, able to achieve say in yeah. a certain time, a certain time yes and there are people who use it uh, pretty much i think as an art journal i mean there are some bullet journals out there where people draw and doodle and uh, they really works of art when you look at them i of course have absolutely no skill so mine is only you know little do little dots uh, so to say and the most artistic i get is when i put some washi tape on it but yeah that's about it okay okay interesting that's something i will uh, definitely look forward to explore my next organizing stuff uh, 
so coming back to 2013 when you said you decided you wanted to travel a path not so far traveled move away from the traditional corporate world uh somewhere in 2016 right is when you decided you will do a montessori course and that was very okay unconventional in my view um why why did you decide to do a montessori course uh, so coming back to 2013 when you said you decided you wanted to travel a path not so far travel move away from the traditional corporate world uh somewhere in 2016 right it's when you decided you will do a montessori course and that was very okay unconventional in my view uh why why did you decide to do a montessori course well actually i decided it in a in a way that is completely conventional to anybody who's worked in uh, analytics and uh, you know consulting um so essentially i I I'd been working in a space for 15 years and uh, you know it is a space which changes rapidly where you need to reskill where I started my career working with SaaS um and you know went through the phase when R was more popular I saw the decline of R and the rise of Python and I'm pretty sure that you know 6 months down the line there will be one more new thing that comes up and we will all have to you know turn around and figure out how to learn that one too um I I began to feel increasingly that I should not be a one trick pony and that I need to so to say expand my repertoire of skills. And when I looked at what is the next skill that you know I want to develop, I wanted to develop a skill that would uh, last in the same way for at least 20 to 30 years, right? For so to say a second career if I chose to have it. And when I looked at the world around us and looked at what uh, what areas of work are likely to survive in a recognizable form for the next 30 years um the one space that i could see which would do that is early education so not not education for literate children so you know once children hit first grade second grade k12 education i think will uh, change radically um you know with e learning and with all the other tools and techniques that are coming up but the way children who are pre literate who are between 3 and 6 or so Uh, i felt that would not change right and, and that is why i wanted specifically to do something in early education um now what that would be i wasn't sure either uh, coincidentally my son was you know turning 2 at about the same time and i was also looking for what early education options were available for him and that's when i seriously considered a montessori school for the first time and that's when i also realized what the montessori education uh, method really meant if it was practiced correctly um and i was hooked so i said okay i need to learn more about doing this um figured a place where that would teach me and went and did the course okay and so what next there so uh, you had said that once you complete you will have uh, future thoughts on how you are going to use what you have learned uh, what are you thinking about uh, applying the learning on i'm i'm still trying to figure that out i'm not one thing that i that this uh, the past year and a half has taught me is that uh, i'm not spiritually evolved enough to work with children on a day to day basis it requires immense amounts of patience it requires immense amounts of uh, uh, how do i say this being being truly willing to listen to a child rather than being in a control mode right where you're where you are controlling yourself and trying to control the environment around you instead you have to give up and you have to watch and wait and see 
and let the child lead and you follow right i mean that actually requires an immense immense suppression of self to be able to do that so, and i am not uh, spiritually evolved enough to practice that suppression of self on a daily basis and work with children in a way that will help the children right so so i think uh, working with children on a day to day basis is one that i don't think i can participate that way um for the rest i'm still figuring it out i think there are some ways in which i could help to build better environments for uh, montessori uh, schools um perhaps even bringing some artificial intelligence into it although let's see how that works but but yeah i have some ideas of what we can explore uh so the the other part to it for every learning there are always books and books have been uh, your influence so far too uh so talk about your book writing plan that was that was the other thing uh that was on your mind when you decided to move away from the conventional uh path right how is that going and how is the book club that uh you had mentioned uh coming up well the book writing part has uh, not going very well i think i'll have to wait for retirement to be able to do that because i'm a very slow writer but um, retirement is what you said earlier in the interview so yeah right. my retirement will be when i write books ah uh, okay um the uh, yeah i mean see the thing is that there are many time sensitive activities that need to happen when you are so to say running a home and a business and everything else so switching contexts is not easy for me to do so if i start writing then you know i need that that full stretch of 4 hours or 5 hours of you know boredom writing writing boredom nothing writing to be able to actually produce any output and four continuous hours i mean oh wow i may as well you know find a diamond lying on my path four hours continuously to myself sounds like that hmm. okay or an emerald if not diamond yes <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> okay so uh, but you are uh, you are writing yes, i found a way to maintain my reading habit and maintain a community around my reading habit by forming a book club um and uh, yeah that's like really it, it's it's a great way to de stress for me and i truly enjoy meeting people who are from very different walks of life come with very different perspectives um and uh, you know i'm therefore getting to also read uh, some books which i would never have otherwise read and are you reading them on kindle or are these no i'll actually end up going back to paper books um at least for a few of them to read and which are these so right now i think this month the book club has put, picked two books one is called erotic stories for punjabi widows uh, as one member of the book club said you know i got some really strange looks on the uh, train with a lot of people smiling at me and then i realized it's because they were reading the title of the book that i had in my hand okay so yeah erotic stories for punjabi widows is is one book uh and the other one is actually a book on uh, memories of partition um uh, called remnants of a separation which uh, which i have actually been delinquent on i have not read that book because i i find books on partition very very disturbing and hard to recover from so i'm i'm currently not reading it 
so kindle is your choice or is it or it depends it depends right now i'm in more of a paper book mode because it feels less distracting to have something that's not a screen in my hand um but yeah otherwise i i have been a 10 year fan of the kindle and uh, i've read done most of my reading in the past 10 years on a kindle Okay, and that's also eco-friendly. Yeah, I suppose it is eco-friendly. Um, uh, so coming towards the end, I think we have spoken for about forty-five uh, minutes. So, uh, my last question for you for this episode, um, in the next five years, where do you want to be? What do you want to do personally and professionally? Oh my God, this sounds exactly like the kind of question I got asked fifteen years ago. and the answers that i gave then have absolutely nothing to do with what i'm doing right now so <laughs> so yeah I, i have to preface whatever answer i give with that qualification because i think the same thing is likely to happen <laughs> the best laid plans of mice and men uh, but no in in 5 years time i i suppose i really want to see the uh, the business that we are building together and the product that i would want to Uh, to see adopted into montessori environments come to uh, come to life and i'd like to see that going out into the world and being successful uh, on a personal uh, level um, yeah i think i'm uh, i'm quite content with where i am i think the smaller things of you know trying to make sure that i i get a better exercise routine and a better diet and make sure that i get to spend more time with my friends um, those are my small goals on a personal level professionally as well you know it's just that i would want to um, to see things come to life um anything else gayatri uh, that you would want to share with our listeners uh, no okay okay so thank you everyone for listening in and uh, please do let us know your feedback on the series and what else would you like to hear from us on our podcast thank you so much and see you next time